This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 7, Episode 46. This is Writing Excuses, Project in Depth, Depth, The Emperor's Soul. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And apparently I can't um, say the name of my own Because you're quaking in fear. <laughs> That's right, quaking in fear. Um, if you missed the one we did with Howard, we are doing Project in Depth again like we did recently with works we were working on, but now we are all picking shorter works. And so we are going to do The Emperor's Soul, which is my novella, which I wrote on the flight home from Taiwan in February 2012. And this is just a reminder that these are going to be spoilerific. So if Very. you don't like spoilers, go ahead, yep. put us on pause. Yep, download the story. You can go buy it online for a couple bucks or buy the, um, the hardcover, or I guess it's a trade paperback, buy the hard copy um, from Tachyon. Okay. Um, so uh, what was the, Brandon, the, the core the core inspiration for this? I mean, I hate yeah. asking people what their ideas right. were. No, this one you can, you can specifically point to. I um, sometimes like on long flights to write a short story or a novella, which is a short story for me. And <laughs> I had visited Taiwan and I was really feeling in the mood. Um, and so I asked them to take me around a few places. And we went to visit a, um, the museum, the National Museum, which is a lot of old Chinese relics. And they have the stamps on all the art there. Uh, we call them in Korean, we call them tojongs. They call them injongs, I believe. You also hear them called chops, um, mm -hmm. whatever. They're, you know, the things you use to identify yourself. It's your, your signature, so to speak. And they were all over the art, and there was all this cool discussion about them that I won't go into now because we only have 15 minutes. Right. But um, the stamps, I thought, I want to do a stamp-based magic. You do come up with the coolest magic systems. When I read this, I, I thought, I, I hate you just a little bit. <laughs> Um, um, hating him just the, a little bit isn't right. Hmm. Hating him just a little bit more with each new magic system, <laughs> that's acceptable. <laughs> well, one, one thing that, I'm, uh, that I noticed when we got um, a little bit farther into the novel is that there is a point where, uh, where Shay is, is fixing one of the stamps. Yes. And she carves something and she says that it looks a little bit like my pawn or Maypon, where yes. she's from, uh -huh. which reminded me of Elantris. Yes, that's a word from Elantris. Um, as I was developing this magic system, um, it felt I was going, to, I wanted to take it the direction of programmer-ish sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, meaning, programming a magic in magic, which is what the magic systems all in Elantris are. And so I actually took this and set this on Cell, which is the, um, the Elantris world, um, and built the culture. I already had a um, very Asian culture that I had built into that world, um, of which pieces you can see in the, uh, in the original book Elantris. And I said, okay, I've got a cool magic system fits in this world. I'm going to set it on this other continent um, and, and start building that culture. Cool. Yeah. So, that's there as an Easter egg. It's actually um, something that could potentially hold the novella back. It could help maybe the Elantris fans pick it up, but I don't want people to, I'm not promoting this as in the same world as Elantris because none of the same characters show up. Right. And there's like None references. of the same magic shows up. Yes, yeah. there's <laughs> references here and there. Um, there is actually one Aeon in the book written. It's the, the, uh, the, the foreigner symbol. Um, for I believe punishment, I think Rayo, or no, Rio yeah, is up. I actually there. recognized Rayo yeah. at the end of it. Mm -hmm. I thought that was yeah. kind of funny. Um, as kind of a flipping the bird, <laughs> um, Shay uses it at the end. But yeah, 
Okay, nice. so we've done a lot of brainstorming podcasts recently where we will yes. take an idea and then try to come up with a really killer ending for it, mm -hmm. which has been very hard for us, especially yeah. with your ideas, uh -huh. because we couldn't find a really good one. This story has a really fantastic ending. I would like to know how you went from stamp-based magic and right. came up with that ending. Um, the, the ending, of course, as a lot of mine were, was developed beforehand. And I was sitting and playing with the idea of a stamp-based magic, and um, I knew I needed a story. And one of the other things I've been playing with, um, oh, someone did in a story or a show I saw, um, I can't remember what it is, had done a really good con artist lately. And I'm like, mm. I love con artists. You know, this is what happens to me. Mm -hmm. I love con artists. I haven't been able to do a real con artist, a really good one since Kelsier. Um, and I want to do another con artist. And that immediately said, I also want to do it, them as female because I already done Kelsier as a great con artist male. And so I already knew my, immediately my character is going to be male or female. And I knew that my magic, my stamp magic, which I've been working on, was kind of a, um, a, a rewriting of the past. It could be used for forgery. And so I started delving into the nature of forgery um, and what it is to be you know, a liar versus telling the truth, and why would a master forger who could create wonderful art create forgeries instead? What's the driving force? And that gave me my motivation for my character. Um, my plot came out as um, just one of those thoughts, you know, it's great when you can have a story where you can um, describe it in one sentence. Those I really get excited by, the, you know, what's cool about it. And this one, when working in that, I thought, what if she has to it, um, do a forgery of someone's soul? Um, that was a great concept. It's something I can say, hey, master forger has to forge someone's soul. Um, has to do a forgery, has to copy someone's soul and, and stick it into an empty body and it has to act just like the person. Can it, could a forger do that? Very exciting to me, plot-wise. Also, I could describe the story very easily. Um, and so, once I did that, I knew I had my ending. My ending being, you know, this, um, this master uh, forgery, whether it works or not. Um, though, interestingly, in this book, um, we, readers ask a lot about theme to us, and I think that uh, this story is a great one to talk about that for because the themes came to be as much or more important than the characters, mm -hmm. or the themes to the characters. The theme of what is the nature of beauty, what is the nature of, of forgery, um, what is, you know, all of these sorts of things. It, it became a very poetic story, almost accidentally, which is how things, I feel, themes should happen they come out as the story progresses. And there, there is some poetical symmetry, poetical? Poetic symmetry to this story. And with, um, when I, I started delving into Gautona and um, what his character was and, and things like that, how, this, how that would work with the relationship with her. One of the things that <clears throat> I was very interested in, speaking of themes and souls, and was the, the idea that, um, that the narrative that we tell about something gives it its own soul like you know yeah. th th when you were she was uh, when she was talking about the table mm -hmm. and we don't think of a table as all of the separate components we think of it right. as its thing and that it then begins to think of itself as a table right and this is um uh, this is based on all kinds of things um we're delving into the cosmere sort of stuff mm -hmm. um my underlying theory of you know existence in my novels um which is based on a, a mashup between platonic um forms and um asian style um, everything has a soul. Um, and so I felt that the Asian themes of everything has a soul would, would be very useful here. Having, you know, I, I served an LDS mission in Korea. I lived in Korea for, for those years and um, got very much exposed to some of these, um, these uh, Eastern forms of thought regarding these sorts of things, which 
I find very fascinating. So one of the one of the things that was really effective is that uh, in order to convey the message that everything has a soul, uh, you have a dominantly positioned character who absolutely does not believe that. Right. That is that is mystical crap. That is not how the real world works. Um, tell me what you're really doing. Yeah. Uh, in the conversations between uh, Shay and his Gautona. name begins with a G. What? Yeah, Gautona. Gautona. I think um, I went with Gautona rather than da- Gautoma. Or yeah, it's yeah. with an yeah. N. Yeah. And I actually did pronounce his name right as I was reading it, but not shy. Yeah, not shy. <laughs> uh, Persian, but not Persian. Um, yeah, Persian. I think the names are all Persian oh, uh, for for them. But I'm just saying that that worked that worked well to me because as the reader, uh, you know, we're in Shy's perspective the whole yes. time, and so. Uh, so we believe what what she believes, but we believe it more effectively when she defends it against someone who doesn't believe it. Right. Does that make sense? Oh. Um, let's go ahead and stop for the book of the week, and um, I think we're just going to go ahead and use Caves of Steel, which uh, Howard just said. Just go ahead and it. use Caves of Steel, one of my all-time favorite stories about AI and one of my favorite murder mysteries of all time, uh, Isaac Asimov's Caves of Steel, uh, in which... Uh, Liege Bailey and R. Daniil Olivaw are teamed up to solve a crime in a world that does not like robots, um, but Daniil Olivaw is a robot who looks just like a person, and this is really a horrible, horrible thing. Um, classic of science fiction, one of the first novels, maybe the first novel where we see the laws, no, iRobot came before that, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, but iRobot is a short story collection together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and this is the full novel. It's one of Asimov's yeah. early first works. First novels that with is the, the, novel. the three laws yeah. of robotics in it. Uh, and you can head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, start a 30-day free trial membership, grab yourself a copy of Caves of Steel by Isaac Asimov, and then for 30% off, you can grab any of the sequels. Robots of Dawn um, is the only one I can think of off the top of my head, but I read all of them and was just fascinated with them, loved them. All right. So one of the things that I also enjoyed with your magic system is the different facets that you were able to have. There were different specialties. So there's mm-hmm. the forger, right. and you've got the resealers, yep. and you've got the, um, the guy who does the blood magic. Yep. with. Mm-hmm. Um, but but as I was thinking about it, and I have to say that I have read this twice because I read it in the... Yes, uh, and we should talk about the edits you suggested yeah. and why I edited them that way. Um, but first let me ask you about something that to me looks like an inconsistency. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, Uh-oh. So, um, it's, and that's uh, Shay's glasses. Mm-hmm. So if she's a master forger and resealers can fix things, mm-hmm. why is she nearsighted? Yeah, I am um, in a lot of my magic systems... Um, dealing with the, the, the Cosmere. I work into healing as a healing you back to the form of yourself that you know yourself at as the world knows yourself as, um, which allows me to put some limitations on healing to keep us from having all societies have perfect people with, because that's a different right. type of story than I want to tell. And so basically healing, once you're wounded, can heal you back to where you were, mm-hmm. but it, um, it can't fix something chronic like that. Um, and it's just a limitation I put on but, it. And yet, when mm-hmm. she is using her five seals to, yes. to change herself, she... Her she does, and that one does not have bad eyesight. Yes. She takes it, her glasses off. And I actually thought about that as I built it. Why doesn't she... And, um, you know, this is just my own reasoning 
why I build my magic systems the way I do, mm -hmm. is she could build one that would fix her eyes. Mm -hmm. She would have to stamp herself with it every day mm -hmm. because it's a different stamp. And that is basically the same as wearing glasses. You have a daily sort of chronic thing. Yeah. And um, in this magic system, you could have something that someone's got a chronically bad heart. You could get them one that they'd stamp themselves with every day that would keep their heart. And you probably want to do that if you had a chronically yeah. bad heart. And could afford a good forger. And could afford a good forger. Um, See, the thought I had... Yeah. And, uh, but at the end of the day, glasses. I wear glasses. I could go get Lasix. Yes. I could, I could afford it in a heartbeat. I know it's not that dangerous. I don't mind glasses. I always wear my glasses. The thought of, you, you could go to this inconvenience to no longer wear glasses. I come back to, the glasses are less of an inconvenience to me. See, my... So my and this is, is. The, this is the readerly interpretation mm -hmm. here. Uh, the fact that she was... Uh, you know, at her potentially weakest and most vulnerable as a forger, uh, I saw it as a programming issue. If you forge yourself in order to be a better forger, you run into recursion problems, hmm. and the forgeries you're, you produce are themselves tainted in some way. And I know that wasn't part of the magic system, uh -huh. but I looked at it and said, no, of course. You want to be yourself when you create these things, otherwise they're flawed. Yeah, I also wondered if it was that she did not want to tell lies about herself when she was herself, but wasn't sure if that was... Well, that's a great theme we can pretend that I decided to use. <laughs> well, and that's, why, that's, <laughs> that's what's so fascinating about the readerly yes. versus the yeah. writerly yes. stuff. Mm -hmm. I have a question about the ending. Okay. Um, the, the ending, and again, uh, spoilerific, the mm -hmm. ending is, I want to say, maximally happy. Uh-huh. There's, you know, we have, we have good things mm -hmm. coming out of this at, at all angles. Yep. Did you have endings in mind that were unhappier, that were more tragic, that you discarded? Yeah, I toyed with, the, um, with, with various things, um, and none of them worked for the theme. Like, I thought, well, maybe something should be wrong with the Emperor. And then I thought, no, that just undermines the whole story. Yeah. Um, so the Emperor has to come out all right. Shay, I could end it with Shay having created the Emperor and given her life at the end of the day, to, keep, to, to have her masterwork get created. Um, I liked that to, uh, better than the other option, but again, at the end of the day, I thought it's actually more powerful for her. It, it becomes trite when everybody sacrifices their life for yeah. something like yeah. this, and I, I thought that her sacrificing her life for her art was, was kind of trite. Um, she had, through the story, that the way that I was writing it, had put the passion into it, that you felt that passion, and I didn't feel any need to add on to that. So at that point, why not just let her get away? So I did. Um, the only other sad ending that could have happened would have been with Gautona. Um, and Gautona, we could have had something go wrong with him, but uh, the more I wrote, the more I realized I wanted this ending to be his revelation of why she would burn a great piece right. of art and let him then take the, the chance to burn a great piece of art in his eyes to make this story a little bit about, you know, the idea that a good lie can in some ways change the world in really cool ways. And the mixture of honesty and lying that she did kind of worked for him and, and, yeah. and helped him. It's kind of this, and what is a lie and what is truth? And it, it's what we do with fiction. Yeah, it's what we do with fiction. Yeah. And that's our whole fake it till you make it podcast. Yeah, yes. yeah. a great piece of fiction <laughs> inspires, um, even though it's not real. And so, so. so this segues into, mm -hmm. uh, to, into one of the major structural changes yes. that you made, um, which is that when I first read this, uh, you started in Shay's POV. Yep, and in prison, 
and she meets with the court fool who is um, who is Hoyd, the character who transcends um, between right. all of my books, transcends, passes between all of my books. It was a great insider um, nudge, nudge, wink, wink scene with a sparring duel between um, Hoyd and Shay. I, um, I wrote it that way, not necessarily for the nudge, nudge, wink, wink, but because I felt that for my readers, having him nod to her in respect, which he does, um, immediately builds her up as a really strong character. Um, and so by taking, you know, the, the great um, master of this sort of thing from my world and, and having her interact with him was going to be a great way to start her off. And it was cool. It got me into the story. And then we wrote the story and it had no place in the rest of the story because it, it was this character who's dynamic and different and, you know, have this whole conversation between Shay and him. And then he vanishes and never appears. And the story is actually about her relationship with Gautona. Um, and it was just the wrong thing. It was and a darling that needed to be killed. Yes, it was a darling that the, meets the <laughs> yeah. exact definition of this because it's my favorite character and all of these things. Um, Mary read the story and she came to me like almost like sorry and regretful because she knew this was going to be painful. And she's like, <laughs> I really think you need to cut the prologue. And I'm like, but the prologue is... Yeah, da, 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 da. And she's like, yeah, but you could replace it with this. And she pitched the opening Gawatona scene um, and said, look, it... Your, your story is now kind of about, it's a poetic story. It's, it's got, you know, symmetry and things. You should begin and end with him. And also his ending kind of feels to come out of nowhere because we haven't had many viewpoints from him, if any. Um, and so it lacks the power. And if we'd started with him, then, uh, then it, it foreshadows it. And she was right. <laughs> she was right. <laughs> Doggone it. Doggone it. I love it. I, I want to ask about uh, mm -hmm. another scene. Yeah. Um, because there's, you know, as the ending goes and all of the kind of the fireworks go off one at a time, um, there's the big fight scene uh -huh. where she turns into the warrior. That, to me, felt like, here's my cool story about art. I'm going to finish it in a minute, but hang on while I beat the crap out of some skeletons. I mean, yep. Is that really what it was? That's really what it was. And that okay. scene could go. That scene definitely could go. Um, I felt the reason for that scene is I'd put guns on the mantle. And um, as I got there, I wanted to, number one, gun on the mantle was Shay changing form into one of her other shapes. That She becomes a very different person. Mm -hmm. uh, gun on the mantle, two was we've got these evil things that she needs to fight or that she needs to escape. She doesn't necessarily need to fight yeah. them. And those two guns together made me say, you know what? Um, I'm okay having a... This scene is very different from the rest. Yeah. But she changes into a different person, and I wanted to feel almost like we stepped into another story for a little while, one about Shazan instead. Mm -hmm. um, and then we step out of it when she, she takes off that cloak, so to yeah. speak. I was okay with it, but it is... It is... Um, very different, and it's the the scene that you could argue for probably the most getting cut because of that. But yeah. yes, it's also eh, let's go beat some stuff up. Yeah, and I'm not saying it should yeah. be cut, just that it does stand out as a yeah. different character's yeah. story, which is you know kind of very fitting. Yeah. The other one that could be cut is um, is uh, Mary being the short story master that she is, and this is good for all of you to hear. Pointed out that why do we have um, a Frava viewpoint. This is the you know, the, the, yeah. the woman. We she there's Still like a short Frava um, viewpoint, and Mary's like, "This is such a novelist thing. Why are you putting in this <laughs> random viewpoint? You don't need this scene. Nothing needs to happen in this scene." I got back to it and said, "Yeah, but I like it, and it's not ruining things like the other mm -hmm. scene was." So I just left it. Now, now there's another very funny novelist indulgence yeah. in there towards the end, um, 
where you know Shay is running off, mm-hmm. and see now you've got me pronouncing it the weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, she's running off, and she's saying, "And now I need to go track down the guy who betrayed me." Yep. Which is such a you know Novel watch thing. for the next yeah. sequel yep. kind of a thing. Novelist indulgence is Novelist the name of my indulgence. next church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Novelist indulgence. That's um, my next band. Um, but yes, that's that's definitely an indulgence too. Mm-hmm. You can see people ask us, "How do you write short stories?" A lot. I'm showing you things that I did wrong, or that perhaps are just. I mean, the fact that it's a novella allows me to kind of tippy-toe across that line a little bit. But these yeah. are things that Mary would not have done, for instance. Mm-hmm. And Mary writes Hugo-nominated short fiction. So perhaps <laughs> one see, should listen to Mary. On, on, on the <laughs> other hand, you know, I, I have interacted with a lot of your fans. We share mm-hmm. message boards and things like that. This is the, that sentence, that one like mm-hmm. half sentence is the kind of thing that they just eat up. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it suggests that there's more and they yeah. always love the thought that there's more. Yeah, that, that sentence I didn't have a problem with. The, uh-huh. the proper viewpoint, and let me, let me explain why yeah. for the, uh, the listeners. Basically, um, every time you change viewpoint, uh, it, it costs a little bit in reader momentum because they have to recalibrate. And doing a viewpoint change so late in the story um, proportionally, this viewpoint takes up much more space than it would in a novel. Mm-hmm. So it, it it so it's the recalibration that I look at and like mm, you're gonna you're gonna you risk losing people right now. Yeah, which isn't going to happen for everybody, and and it's also one of those things that is not a certainty. But that's why I caution against having right. that scene, and also. And, and I can say this because I'm sitting in front of him and yeah. he can throw something at me. Also because I feel like it's a little bit lazy. Mm, yeah. Because it's, it's much easier to show the things that you showed in that, which is that she's... She gets her comeuppance and she's... Yeah. yeah she's, it's much easier to show that from her point of mm-hmm. view. Much harder to show it from someone else's point of view. But I think you could have. I have to confess, go. I had a moment of despair. I, I read this as homework mm-hmm. <laughs> for this episode of the cast i needed and that's i'm not saying that i only read it because you yeah. made me um but i got to the frava viewpoint and my brain said hey wait a minute how long is this <laughs> yeah which because is... it felt like oh my gosh this isn't a novella this is a novel brand <laughs> and i liked it i you know i loved i loved the story but but mary's right this the cue that this sends to the reader mm-hmm. is that uh this is big mm-hmm. all right let's go ahead and stop does anyone have a writing prompt for us I want you to come up with a magic system based on stamps that has nothing to do with forgery. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Hi, all. This is Brandon. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. I just wanted to give you a special reminder. Audible has my novella Legion up for free in audiobook. And so, since they're a sponsor of the podcast, I thought I'd give an extra shout-out to it. They actually have, if you go to www.audible.com slash Sanderson, uh, they have Legion up there. You, there's no trial. There's no strings attached. You just get it for free. So, I hope you guys go get a, give it a listen if you haven't already. And you can go to audible.com slash Sanderson to download it and give it a try. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. 
In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 